It's Tuesday, July 31st, 2018, and welcome to episode 214 of Tech Talk for Teachers. I'm Tom Grissom. And I'm Stacy Knight-Davis. Welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers, the show about teaching and learning with technology. And we have a special guest with us from the Eastern Illinois University Booth Library. Stacy Knight-Davis is with us. Welcome, Stacy. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I've invited Stacy in today to talk about uh, a little bit about digital preservation, about a conversation we had earlier this month, as well as... We're also going to be talking about open educational resources and how those are both a part of sharing your data and keeping it safe through multiple copies. Okay, so OER, Open Educational Resources, is kind of a hot topic right now uh, in education. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some of our digital preservation efforts. Here we go. With me today is Stacy Knight Davis, one of our head librarians here at Eastern Illinois University. And I invited Stacy in this morning. We had a conversation earlier this month talking about a unique find that she had brought to my attention. And it happened to be one of the Magic Lantern slides. And if you're not familiar with a Magic Lantern, back at the turn of the century, this is what teachers used as instructional material. They would find, Stacy, if you could just describe a little bit about what this slide is made of and, sure. and, and how they projected it. The, the slides are uh, a fairly thick glass. I think they're about two inches by three inches. And uh, they would go into a, a high-powered lamp that projected onto a screen, uh, similar to a slide carousel, but on glass instead of on celluloid because that hadn't been invented yet. Uh, and the, the one I had was from the Chicago Public Schools uh, teaching collection. And it, it uh, I couldn't figure out exactly what uh, series it had gone with. It looked like it was probably a storybook because it was a little girl and a cat and a dog chasing each other. But uh, doing a little bit of quick background on this, they had about 8,000 slides in that collection. Wow. It, uh, around World War One, and there's only a handful that have been cataloged. So that's mm -hmm. one of those technologies where there was tons of it at one point, it's all been dispersed, and no one's really sure what was there anymore. The beautiful thing with those slides is when you can find them, you can still see them because it was on a nice permanent medium with the glass. Mm -hmm. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of our uh, digital items are not going to be as lucky as right. that piece of glass Right, was. and I want to talk about that in just a little bit later in, in this program here. But uh, I think it was around circa 1904, 1905, 1906, I think. I did a little bit of research, mm -hmm. you know, just curious about looking up and seeing what you had. Yeah. And, you know, electricity back then. And whenever you say bright projector, that's relative term. Exactly. <laughs> because before that, you know, in the 1800s, the actually Magic Lanterns had candles mm -hmm. as, as a source for that. I'm sure the safety officers would love that you know, in today's classroom. <laughs> well, there was an open wood-burning stove in a lot of your wondering yeah, schoolhouses, so that, fire safety was relative. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had a lot of experience and things with it, and maybe a little more common sense and things than today. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 that technology, it it amazes me that you know 100 plus years ago you know going what 100 and say 1905 what 113 years mm -hmm. and we can still see that so i just asked myself the question some of the materials that i'm producing today you know a powerpoint a one note notebook something like that will we be able to view that in 113 years and that is a really good question um 
part of what I do as the head of library technology services is digital preservation. And um, one of the key things with digital preservation is using a preservation format, which means it's something that's going to be stable over several years and openable by a variety of programs uh, other than just a propriety, proprietary program. So your examples of PowerPoint and OneNote, those are things where as time rolls on, it may become harder and harder to open those. And the, the key with those is to migrate them to a format that is preservation ready. Uh, generally PDF, there's also a preservation standard for PDF called PDF-A that removes some of the fancy things from PDF that makes it easier to migrate from year to year. So having those uh, formats that are known to be stable and don't have any bit loss. Uh, JPEG is extremely popular, but as you save those over and over again, there's a loss of quality every time it's saved. So the preservation standard is usually a TIFF format, which can be a little bit more difficult to open because not everybody has something that'll open a TIFF file, but we've got TIFF files over at the library that were scanned, you know, 15, 20 years ago that we can still open without any trouble and right. they're still just as crisp as the day we scanned them. And they're typically larger, which kind of discourages Much people. Much larger, yes. You know, that's why the JPEG format kind of took over on the web because size was an issue and transmission exactly. speeds. But we don't have any bit loss with a, a right. TIFF, so that's the thing. And since I said the word bit, um, I should also mention that uh, storage media is extremely important. Uh, what I always like to say is if it's not powered up, it's rotting. Mm -hmm. So anything, Digital rot. Yeah, um, bit rot. It's especially bad with uh, optical CDs, and even we're seeing now commercially produced CDs, the, the metallic layer in there breaks down over mm -hmm. time and oxidizes, and you start losing yeah. pieces of your data. With the writable CDs, and especially the rewritable CDs, this is exceptionally bad, and some of those only last for a couple years. So. Yeah, I, ha I had a success just this month. Uh, I, I found an old CD, uh, CD-ROM, uh, a, re a readable one, CD mm -hmm. at Deshar, and I created in 1998, and I was able to open it. It mm -hmm. was a backup of a web page, mm -hmm. and everything everything was there, although I have had CDs fail in as little as yeah. five years. And it, it really is a mixed bag, so that's one of those things that I would definitely say don't use that as your only preservation copy. Make sure that you've got a copy somewhere on a server uh, so that you don't have to worry about your storage media breaking down. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the old magnetic things, and you can still read a little three and a half inch floppy if you've got the stuff for it, but a, a CD of the same age may yeah. have fallen apart. Yeah. So, Be, Being a little bit older, I've gone through sev several evolutions, and I've lost a lot of digital material mm -hmm. over the years. I think back when I first started teaching in the 80s, you know, when PCs were really first hitting the classroom for the first time, uh, just the programs that we used. Mm -hmm. I mean, to say nothing of none of those computers last. Then we've gone through the evolution, the miniaturization. You know, I, I started out with eight-inch floppies, then five and a quarter floppies, mm -hmm. then three and a half floppies, then zip zip disk, mm -hmm. and then CD-ROMs, DVDs. So a number of media, and it's it, what what you, what we're doing for digital preservation is really hard. You have to give some thought to it, and Definitely. and it's something that has to be revisited over and over again yeah that's uh one of the other things i wanted to mention and this is usually of interest to people that are working on grants from the federal government but really everyone should think about this is uh, data management plans mm -hmm. so if you've if you've got a research database that you're working on or even your own personal collection of materials 
making sure you have a plan in place to change those file formats as things move along, making sure that you're checking them occasionally to be sure that the files haven't broken down, and keeping multiple copies of things in multiple places. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the key things in digital preservation, they call it the LOCKS rule, L-O-K-S-S. -S. Lots of copies keep stuff safe. Mm. Uh, so the more copies you can spread over the bigger distance, the better. Um, so say you've got your own laptop, you've been a really good person, you've also backed it up to a external hard drive, but then you have a disaster where your bedroom catches fire and you've now lost both your right. laptop and your drive. So right. you want to have something stored off-site yeah. as well as in, local. In IT, we call that the 3-2-1 backup rule. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. multiple, multiple copies, different formats in at least two different locations. Yeah. Because as you said, making that backup on external drive and stick it in your, you know, your credenza drawer or whatever doesn't do you a lot of good if you have a disaster in the same location it's very true and even to the point of if you've got one in your office and one at home if there's a natural disaster that wipes out the entire area yeah. um, having something on a server outside of the region is a great yeah, way which to is where cloud-based computing can really help us there but i Definitely. think people get the uh, sense or over sense of comfort now it's out there you know it's being taken care of somebody mm -hmm. else and i tell people you're only one you know one change of a password away from not being able to retrieve <laughs> uh, you know retrieve some of that so as you say it's a multi-layered approach mm -hmm. so uh the the other thing is we we talked a little bit and both you and i went to the faculty summer institute back in may i believe mm -hmm. and one of the uh, topics that's kind of uh, been around before but it seems to be uh, becoming more fashionable is open educational resources mm -hmm. and I think that kind of ties in with some of the digital preservation you know techniques and it things. Does, yes it, it, it dovetails beautifully because if you're trying to have lots of copies distributed all across the country one of the best ways to do that is to deposit your work into an open educational resources repository and in Illinois, there's the uh, a uh, service called the Illinois Open Education Resources, uh, and that will allow anyone in Illinois to deposit whatever teaching materials or a whole curricula. Uh, they take pretty much any file type, though, as I said, I would recommend you stick with something standard. You can put it in there. It's all tied to the K through 12 learning standards, so you can tag it up as to what standards it goes with, and then anyone can go in and search that, and your material is now distributed further out so that it's safe, it's on a bunch of different servers, and you're also helping out the teaching community by sharing your work. Yeah, I, w I wasn't familiar with that. I've got a link that you uh, sent me earlier that we can put in the show notes for that, and there's a wealth of information out there for mm -hmm. those those interested. Now, is that only for K-12 or is higher ed too? It, it's or? for anyone in the state of Illinois that wants to uh, participate. There's not even any rule on needing to be a, an, an active teacher. So pre-service teachers, I think it would be a great thing to get used to using mm -hmm. it. Uh, it's also set up so that uh, a whole school or a school district can make a, a profile in there and add materials to it. So yeah. uh, the, the idea with open education resources, we all know that textbooks are extremely expensive, software is expensive. The more we can share and collaborate, the easier it is for everyone to get things done. Um, of course, one of the concerns is always, well, someone's going to take my stuff. Well, you're also able to borrow from everyone else. Everything is needing to be credited. There's Creative Commons licenses involved mm -hmm. where you're allowing other people to use it as long as they're not profiting from it and they give you credit for mm -hmm. it. So 
you know, you still retain your authorship rights and you're, you're helping out the whole teaching community by sharing your materials. And of course, you can use things that other people have made to and add to them. So. Yeah. I, I, I'll mention here that librarians, you know, no matter whether you're in higher ed or K-12 are, you know, just a wonderful resource, you know, whether things be physical in the physical book or as more and more things go electronic or online. But uh, you just mentioned, I think you mentioned Creative Commons. That's mm -hmm. a whole nother, you know, topic and topic <laughs> and discussion. But one of the concerns with open educational resource copyright and those intellectual property rights, and like I said, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here <laughs> uh, with what I, I do a lot of my works. You know, whenever I post it out on a blog or something, I'll list it. And as you said, typically I'll put, you know, Creative Commons, you know, with attribution. Mm -hmm. You just, you just, that's just a kind of common courtesy that if you're using somebody else's resources, you're just giving a hat tip to that creator and then it's it's up to you in creative commons if you want to have somebody alter it you know add to or you could say you know just just the way that it is mm -hmm. so that's uh that's one of the things that's built in with the open education resources to encourage sharing and uh, make sure that people are given credit for their work is that type of, of licensing structure of course, you always maintain your copyright unless you specifically sign it away. So no one can take your work and profit off of it without your explicit written permission. And I think that's something that the people are concerned about. So I just want to make sure that everyone's aware that you keep your copyright until you sign it away. Um, but the, the open education resources, they really are a great way for uh, materials to be shared between teachers, between schools. Uh, with the uh, Illinois Open Education Resources platform I mentioned, uh, you don't even have to make your own work available. If you find something that you want to tag that's already online, you can add that to the database and tie it to a learning standard. And if you've got a, a set of resources that you like that you want to share, you can do that too to point people towards them. And that just helps kind of tag up the web for everybody else so that if it is something neat that's hard to find, it's increasing the discoverability of that for everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, I think the key thing is submitting your own work or the work of your department, your team, whatever, so that that material can live on and have life beyond your own classroom. Right, making it easy, easily findable, searchable out mm -hmm. there for that. And that's another reason that I like OneNote so much because OneNote can form the framework as I go out there and tag and find these different things, you essentially make your own customized textbook. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with the OER, the Creative Commons, the licensing things, you're well in. So uh, let's, let's say that uh, I have something I'd like to contribute to the Illinois Open Education Resource uh, site out mm -hmm. there. What would you recommend, a, a PDF format? I would say PDF would be one of the, the best formats that you could choose and uh, try to make sure that there's not anything super fancy going on in the PDF. Um, I don't think a lot of people do it, but it's possible to do embedded video oh, and yeah. some other crazy things with PDF. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what a, a perfect example of this is Adobe Flash. You know, mm -hmm. the, the web grew up on Adobe Flash and there are just so many open educational resources, particularly in the science area where we'd go out and make an animation of this or that. Mm -hmm. and it would require the Adobe Flash plugin, and of course, in the last five years, uh, mainly due to a lot of security concerns, you know, they're they're trying to basically eliminate that. So right. that's one of those growing pains, and mm -hmm. another, I don't know, you know, reformatting, which 
takes time. You know, it does, it's, it's, it's yeah. hard to do one time and then, you know, worrying about doing that, but you, you have to do it to stay with the times if you want to preserve mm -hmm. that, as you said. Yeah. So, uh, the, the Illinois open educational resources, they, they will take pretty much any file format except an executable for security reasons. So, you know, it's better to put it in there as is mm -hmm. than not put it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but for the sake of making it as accessible to everyone, uh, especially going forward in time, PDF is great uh, for video content, MP4, for sound content, MP3. Uh, I said that TIFF is the preservation format, but this is really more of what we'd call a working copy because people are needing to download it. JPEG's fine. You know, mm -hmm. keep a TIFF on your own hard drive if it's something special. But you know, JPEG will be fine for this, uh, as long as it's it's something fairly common that anybody can get software to open. That's the key. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. So thank you very much. technology pick of the week this week is a blog posting that goes right along with our last conversation talking about digital preservation and the title of this uh, blog post is nothing lasts forever questions to ask yourself when choosing a new a new tool or technology for research so uh, this has got some of those things that uh, Stacy was just talking about uh, mentioning out there and just something to keep in mind as, as we look to share our resources and things, particularly, you know, for it to last in the future. And a nice little write up here in the article, but they've got a few questions here to ask yourself, you know, for choosing the right tool for the job. So first, first question uh, within this article is, is it intuitive to use? I think that's important, you know, because some of these some of these technologies can get quite complicated. I think of like Photoshop. I mean, once you master the basics of Photoshop, you're good, but it does have quite a bit of a steep learning curve the first time. Uh, and, you know, uh, is there an alternative? So, you know, there's many, many different, you know, I'll just use Photoshop for an example. There's many, many different alternatives out there for, you know, photo editing, uh, image editing. Can you export your content? That's a big one for me. And that's another reason I kind of like OneNote because I can put multimedia, I can embed things within that. So it will handle YouTube videos, whatever, MP4s, uh, but I can also export it as a PDF. Now, granted, the formatting is going to look probably awful because it's not, you know, in its native type format. But to me, the content is, is what's most important. And, uh, you know, OneNote for note taking, it's like, it's just so easy to make a backup out there. And then, as I said earlier, you want it in a couple of different formats. Um, how well, how often will you use the technology? You know, is it something that you're going to use, you know, daily or, you know, going to have to retrieve it once a year and you know, once every 10 years, uh, which is kind of another conversation out there. You know, people today with, you know, Facebook and everything else, you've got all these family pictures and things posted, but also, you know, who owns that? Who owns the, you know, the technology behind it? Will Facebook be around 10, 20, 30 years? And we probably say, well, of course it will, but there's been many, many examples where you've been on top of the world and then you go away. Uh, and then uh, who created the technology and who owns it is very important. And I think that's kind of one of the arguments for the open educational resources. And then are, are the developers on social media and how often do, you, do they post new updates? In other words, is it maintained? out there 
And like I said, that's kind of, kind of uh, just a few questions out there to consider. And you know, nothing lasts forever. If something's going to be very important to you, go back to that magic lantern slide we started out the conversation with, you know, a hundred plus years ago, and we can still see that content out there. If I have a, a favorite photograph, you know, a digital photograph, maybe I want to physically print it out on paper because it's guaranteed, you know. Then we get into, is it acid-free? And, you know, things can happen with paper, have fires and things. You know, that's life. Life's full of risk, and we, we never know, but we try to do the best that we can uh, to mitigate those risks. So that's my tech pick, just a few things to consider for digital preservation. My tech pick is the Illinois Open Educational Resources, and uh, that platform is extremely helpful both for digital preservation and for helping you identify resources that are available for free that are uh, aligned with the K-12 learning standards. So whether you are looking to submit your work to share with others, to submit your work to make sure there's always a copy of it available somewhere, uh, it's a great tool to use to both share your work and uh, to look for work from others that are aligned with whatever curricula that you're trying to build. The platform accepts uh, multiple file types, so uh, going along with what Tom said, of course, you, you can pick something unusual, but keep in mind that other people might not be able to open it if you do. So you know, if you're submitting your own material, try to keep it in a, a general form uh, that most people would be able to open. In terms of who made it, uh, the platform is uh, sponsored by the state of Illinois and was built uh, custom purpose just to do what it does. So there is a, a strong governmental backing for it. I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon. There's also collaboration with federal agencies on this to make sure that the standards are uh, in place uh, to let the platform talk to other open educational resources platforms. So things are shared very well within the system and uh, they've put an awful lot of work into making sure that the metadata, the data that describes the data, is on point and will be searchable. Uh, they've got uh, special things coded into it so that Google can crawl it effectively. So uh, you don't just have to go to the IOER platform to search it. It's searchable through other platforms that talk to it, and Google should be able to pull things out of it as well. So if you're looking to get your work out there, you know, you're a busy teacher, you don't have time to publish a lot, but you still want to share the materials that you've made, you're going to be able to get a very wide audience for your teaching materials by putting them in the IOER. Okay, thank you very much. We mentioned several resources uh, in this episode, so be sure to check out the show notes. I'll provide some links, uh, and then also a few other links. I'm not, I'm sure if you're, I'm not sure if you're familiar with CK12. Have you heard of that? Mm, that one's a new one for me. That that's a K12 electronic textbook OER textbook oh, okay. type okay. situation. LibreText, which was mm -hmm. mentioned at the FSI uh, Faculty Summer Institute, uh, I'll provide a link to that. Mm -hmm. And once you kind of go down the OER path, and if you just kind of do some searches out there in social media or out in Google and use the hashtag OER, you're just going to find tons and tons of exactly of resources. And that's kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. so, exactly. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Tom. That 
wraps it up for episode 214 of Tech Talk for Teachers. Show notes for this episode and archived episodes are available on the web at the EIU Instructional Technology Center website at eiu.edu slash ITC. Just click on the Tech Talk for Teachers link. Until next time, this is Tom Grissom and Stacy Knight Davis. Keep, Keep on, on learning. learning.